like Sam. I was just like, yeah, you just check out these boxes. I, I see. Nope. I turn around because I'm done investigating. And I draw the line here, and now there's a wall there. I don't know. I'd be like, there is a whole back house to the house that I know. Nope. I'd be like, this is the. Mo-. I would recognize very early. I'd be like, this is the moment where my mind is playing tricks on me. We must go the opposite way. We must go out where we came. If there is a thing there, I am not going by myself to go look at it. We are getting Mm -hmm. everyone in the house to go look in this weird space, because otherwise it's not happening at all. As we do. Yes. We it sounded like the... you forgot your name for a second. I, I just forgot what I was doing for a second. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long, long month of, of this. <laughs> of doing That's our true. show, like usual. Um, we are the Media Analysis Podcast from a Horror Lens, where we explore real-life, historical, scientific, psychological reasons behind our cinematic fears. And this is our Mental Health Awareness Month series, where we're talking about mental illness, um, and mostly about allyship, really, and caregiving, um, Mm -hmm. as we haven't had, like, anybody on who has certain mental illnesses that we've covered. Yeah. But we have talked to people who interact with people, or who... Uh, or, you know, talk to people who had it and then how they cope. So there's something. Yeah. I think, I think we say things that are like worth saying, you know, if what we're saying is helping to make that slightly better. Cool. I don't think we said anything bad though. Hopefully. I don't think so. I mean, you know, (laughs) you can always, uh, email us, coolsnextdoor at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, we love getting any correspondence and love to talk about it. Um, this series, you know, we have talked a lot about how the world interacts with people with mental illness and also how you can better help other folks um, who are close to you and being, you know, uh, someone who's supportive and understanding and empathetic, which is not often what horror represents in, in you know, in, in understanding uh, what it is. This film uh, was interesting for Kat and I in that we don't really have firsthand knowledge or, um, you know, more, like, I think we are a little more closely related to some of the other Films or ideas and concerns, and this one was, like, you know, a little bit different. And so, um, you know, I talked to, to someone to, to get first-hand knowledge of being a caregiver for someone with dementia, which is what we'll talk about today. Um, but we're talking about a, a very recent film, uh, Relic, and it was, a, I'd say, a solid horror film. Yeah. No, it was definitely really good. Uh especially in the horror end where it was very scary. There was a lot of like background things that were in the house, kind of like spooky stuff. In addition to like a decent amount of body gore and horror, uh, that was also used in terms of like, I am sure your trypophobia Gabe was going all over. I don't even have trypophobia. And I was like, this is not what I ever wanted the body to do in front of me um but it was like really good in terms of like people who like horror i think will like this film um and it has a decent amount of emotions that go into it as well that like really there's but also like make you think about the people you love and how you should be there for them mm-hmm. uh, yeah i think it's 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 in the vein of those horror films that we appreciate in that it is trying mm-hmm. to tell you something and uh it is using real experiences and real fears and trauma to influence what we're seeing on screen, which we appreciate for people who might be looking for, 
you know, like, it's not insidious, right? <laughs> it's mm. not the conjuring where we're just, like, you know, getting goofy uh, uh, jump scares or, you know, just, you know, having fun with horror. It definitely is, like, you're stressed and feeling a certain way kind of horror. Yeah, it's definitely, I think it's one of those films, too, that I wish we had the time to watch it more than once. Because I feel like... Uh, the, the body horror and, like, the gore really got to me, and I feel like if I watched it again, knowing that that was going to be taking place, which I guess I should because it's a horror film, and that's surely what we, what we will see, but I think I would have been able to really focus more on, like, stuff that was happening in the background or, like, the underlying mm-hmm. themes, and I think it's definitely one of those films where it has a little bit of shock value to it that... Uh, through a second watch through, I probably would have gotten more out of. So I think I might watch it again, you know, even if it's not for the ghouls, but it was definitely yeah. one of those films that you probably would want to watch twice. Yeah. And I think it's like a, also like a, probably a cathartic experience for others who, you know, have interacted with people that they love having dementia and, you know, seeing that, seeing some of those horrors on screen uh, might feel validating as mm-hmm. well. Um, so for people who are wondering what we're talking about, uh, we're talking about Relic, which is from 2020, so soon. Uh, <laughs> director and writer was Natalie Erica James, and this is her debut film, which is phenomenal. Great work uh, for, for fresh out the gate there uh, in creating something like this. So it is about a daughter, mother, and grandmother are haunted by a manifestation of dementia that consumes their family home. Uh, and yeah, it does do that. I, I liked yeah. the intergenerational elements to it. Um, and that, you know, it, it was showing kind of the effects of this family and that's something I appreciated. Uh, it follows these three women as they're dealing with a deteriorating mind. Uh, so we have Edna, who's a woman who's, uh, who has dementia, her daughter Kay, and then her Kay's daughter, Sam. So <laughs> getting to see that and also getting to see like our interpretation of uh, how we uh, manage our elders and, and the, the family members that we, you know, are tasked with taking care of um, in their old age. Uh, it's immediately pretty clear in this film that this is a family that's similar to Hereditary and that they do not communicate. Yeah. <laughs> they are, you know... Uh, pretty distant uh and this is like a time where they're all being brought together and and their differences of opinions and experiences and the fact that they have been hiding things from each other kind of piles up uh so edna is missing at the beginning of this film and so Kay and sam come down to find her and there's really no even real understanding of when she went missing because they don't communicate that often. And there's a part where uh, Kay is questioned by the police about her mother and it is, you know, she has to admit that she doesn't talk to her mother much. And uh, despite an incident during Christmas where um, she had flooded the house from, you know, her kind of forgetting what was happening, uh, she still isn't like, she she didn't feel it was important or like that that big of a deal but also like when you do get to interact with Edna it's obvious that she probably didn't make herself uh vulnerable or explain how severe some of the situations were and when uh Kay and Sam get to the house they see like sticky notes everywhere that are telling Edna like to do very basic tasks and to remember to do very basic tasks. And later those sticky notes get really alarming when they have basic information about Edna, just like what her name is, what color her mom's eyes are, like these memories that we take for granted. She has to have on sticky notes throughout the house. Um, She has, you know, her hobbies, she has like these candles, she makes candles, are just kind of strewn about. And there's just like a lot of troubling things. Like it's clear that, you know, she's just kind of been existing on her own and coping with a lot on her own and then just wandered off. Uh, it's also apparent that Kay doesn't have a strong relationship with her own daughter, Sam, and that Sam 
kind of offhandedly mentions that she doesn't work where she did anymore at the museum, and now she works at, like, a bar, and she's not really sure what she wants to do with her life, and it's uh, it's awkward and uncomfortable um, and clear that they don't really have that kind of relationship. And Sam, like, calls her by her name instead of, you know, mom, uh, and she often, you know, sides with her grandmother on you know, the, the issues at hand and kind of backing her up and is in her corner more than her mom's corner. Um, when Edna returns, it's as if, uh, you know, nothing happens. Like she is kind of playing it aloof, uh, despite being covered in dirt and having been missing for so long and, and, and bruises, uh, alarming bruises. But we get this brief glimpse into who, Edna was and who she is like it, it throughout most of the film she's kind of this ghost in a way she's also um a little bit of a villain like we don't really know to trust her and she is a point of contention for a lot that's going on so there's just one moment <laughs> when she's back she's in her slacks and she's getting uh you know looked over by uh, a medical professional and she's you know being kind of flippant and offhanded but she's also like spunky uh, and yeah. it's clear that she's been a very stern and prideful woman. Uh, she makes, like, some snide remarks, and she's, like, dismissing the concerns of others. And it's clear that she's, like, always had this, like, headstrong kind of life, uh, which yeah. re- reminds me so much of my own grandmother uh, when I was watching. I was like, this is just, like, <laughs> like yeah. you know, you couldn't tell my grandmother you know, to go, like, get help her to move or uh, to do any of that. Like, she'd be like, no, this is my house. So I definitely understand the hesitancy with Kay in, in not starting that argument and knowing that her mother is going to be defiant in that anyway. And it's like, it, it in seeing that, like, it is a really nice moment to understand who Edna is. And it, it then influences and explains the rest of the interactions and makes the times when you see her as vulnerable and stressed um, and as old as she is, uh, you feel even more about it because you saw what she actually could have been if if she, you know, wasn't suffering from dementia. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that was a really great move. Um, and there's also... Um, conversations with Kay about uh, sending her mom to her home because she can't, you know, do that for her uh, or can't take care, give her the care that she needs or take care of her. And Sam makes this comment like, you know, isn't it supposed to be that your parents change your nappies and then you change theirs? Like, you're supposed to take care of your own and not send them away. And that's like yeah. one of the the big kind of battles there. And even after, I think... Sam interacts with uh, Edna after she kind of is a little bit aggressive and showing that, like, she is afraid and so lashing out. Even still, she's like, I don't think she needs to go to a home. <laughs> and, and I think yeah. those moments that, that it is more of a psychological horror and that those moments are uncomfortable um, but really believable and uh, understandable for people who might have similar experiences. And then there is horror aspects to it in that the house itself uh, represents Edna's mind, right? So mm-hmm. it, there's um, constant, uh, uh, like, mold occurring, and there's, like, a window, this really nice, beautiful window that uh, they had taken from this, like, old house that used to be on the yard that belonged to Edna's ancestors. And it was one of her, like, her great-grandfather or something had dementia as well, but died on his own. And they had, like, torn down that, like, shed or small, like, house, but they took that window because it was so elaborate and put it onto their now house. And that's, like, you know, representing, like, you're inheriting uh, this trait and this illness. Um, and that that's kind of where the the mold is first seen. And, like, it's, mm-hmm. like, that is, like, the infection that's spreading. And throughout, you kind of see those pieces of, like, the black mold throughout the house to kind of show how it's it's dirtying and sullying, like, the comprehension and the understanding. Um, but there's even kind of a bit of like a, uh, like haunted house 
uh, scenes where uh, Sam is lost in the the now labyrinth of a house after seeing those notes that like my name is Edna. My mother's uh-huh. eyes are green. Like, you are descending into the chaos that is Edna's mind because nothing in there is is working correctly. Like, the halls that used to lead to this place don't lead to that anymore. And now we're going in circles, and now we're lost, and now things are becoming smaller and suffocating. And it's, you know, a physical representation of what Edna is experiencing when she's, like, hitting these walls of, like not remembering or understanding where she is and what she's doing, like being consistently lost um, and feeling afraid because of that, because it is, you feel helpless. And there's times Sam really did feel helpless and was panicked and just, and calling Mm -hmm. out for her mother. Right. Um, And to think like uh, that Edna to some degree probably was too. And that that's why she was trying to recall what her mother looked like. Um, and I, I, I really appreciated that part of the horror. Um, it got, it, it's totally at towards the end, and it is really like, uh, <laughs> you're like, wait, what are we doing now? All of a sudden, it's this kind of film, because before that, it was really just like an uncomfortable family film, um, a bit yeah. of a drama. And it was now like a little it's hint like, of ghosts, because there's like the shadows behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, it is not, it, it goes very quickly into this very, very haunted house situation that I remember I was, I found jarring initially. I was like, what, what? Yeah, <laughs> Someone needs like, to why? explain to me what's happening. Cause everything was like kind of okay. Like a minute ago. Um, and I, I don't know if that's like specifically supposed to represent like that the decline can be very quick. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was very jarring. It was like, it felt sudden. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think if if that is actually representative of that, like, the decline can happen quick, uh, then it's effective, for sure, Mm -hmm. in creating this, like, feeling of uneasiness and chaos. Yeah, I think, because, yeah, because it's like you don't really know um, what to expect. Because I do remember in that scene, like, where Sam is, like, investigating and she turns and there's this long hallway and there's, like, a shadow that goes by. And I was like, I would go and look. Like, if I'm just in my grandmother's house... And I see that, I'd be like, what is that? I want to go see. And so nope. my, <laughs> my instinct would be to just go and investigate. And then it, it turned into Alice in Wonderland. And I was like, this okay. Is, yeah. I I just feel like I, I mean, I would keep going the way the same was. And I probably would also be losing it in that, like, this is clearly not reality. And I don't have control of things. And where am I? And what's going on? And this is now surreal horror (laughs) you know and so for that I could see it but while I was watching it I was like I'd just be like okay this is happening I don't know why (laughs) I'm gonna keep going but it was really like I had no idea like when I was just like yeah I'll go investigate like I like Sam I was just like yeah you just check out these boxes I I see I turn around because I'm done investigating I draw the line here and now there's a wall there I don't know. I'd be like, there is a whole back house to the house that I know. Nope. I'd be like, this is the, mo-. I would recognize very early. I'd be like, this is the moment where my mind is playing tricks on me. We must go the opposite way. We must go out where we came. If there is a thing there, I am not going by myself to go look at it. We are getting mm-hmm. everyone in the house to go look in this weird space. Cause otherwise it's not happening at all. Yeah. Yeah. We got to go together. I, I was I was very scared as like, like I remember being in my grandpa's house and like his house was creepy and filled with like shadowy things and like creaky floors and I'd be like mm-hmm. I would well. cover my head with the covers and we would pretend it wasn't real or uh we would get an adult an adult would help look for the thing I yeah I don't know Kira I would not be adult. in a horror movie because <laughs> I would just be like we're leaving yeah yes yeah no we have to go through it it's about we have to get it's it's an exercise in understanding and empathy yes i get that part but if that was not (laughs) i don't want to do it yes it's like in horror games where it's like you have to keep going and i'm like no in no situation ever am i do i want to keep going i'm usually like can we not go to the zombies like is there another way no we have to not. do it. We have to live it out. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that part was very. I I remember when I was watching it, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like rose red. Like if you had a string to like 
follow where you were going, you would turn around and the string would just be through the wall because yeah. It, well, like, and, like, just, like, that scene in, in Rose Red, um, Mike said, Le- I think, Leaves of Grass, which is that, like, book that is, like, chaos, like, because the house keeps changing, and the book is, like, at sometimes the words are just, like, in a circle around the page, and you just kind of have to go. I think that's what it's called. Um, but, yeah, so I was, like, yeah, this is just madness. Now we're all in it. <laughs> <laughs> we just gotta go. Um, yeah, I think that imagery was really effective. Um, and in my, like, looking through some of the articles, because I was like, what? A lot of people are appreciative of the representation of dementia and feel that it is an accurate representation, uh, like a portrayal of, of what that experience is for caretakers, right? Yeah. Um, to see the person you know becoming somebody else uh, mm-hmm. and to become vulnerable. Um, that, that moment with Edna where she was going to eat the, the photos and then uh, Kay coming and, and being like, don't do that. And the sheer panic of like trying to reconcile this woman who's in front of her who is simultaneously her mother and not her mother, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that moment where she is, you know, sad and is crying out, wondering where her family is and wanting to go home. Uh, And you can tell that that is not a part of Edna that Kay had ever interacted with, right? Like Mm -hmm. a a woman who is is sad and and, and looking for support, you know? Like she's always been the support. And, um, yeah, to to see her and and for Kay to just be like, no, we're here. Um, And, you know, the other part is like a lot of reviews are like, it's not a great horror movie. Like there's some spooks, but that definitely takes like the, like it's the secondary part of Mm. of what this film is. Like it's just kind of also happening. Uh, But the primary focus is this representation. And I do think it, it, it promotes empathy and compassion towards an individual with dementia in that, uh, you really get to see how alarming and stressful it is. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't really tell you what <laughs> the ending of the skin, and I won't ex- explain more than that, uh, just to say I don't really know what that one's supposed to represent. So <laughs> if you have an idea, please let me know, because I'm just like, I get like rebirths or something. I get them being on the bed. I get that, but I don't. That whole scene was like, why you got to do that? <laughs> why we got to do this? Why um, we got to remove skin now? Yeah. It was definitely jarring, um, especially, like, those scenes. Kind of reminds me of, like, the the, the exorcism of Deborah Logan or whatever. Um, mm. Just, like, that, those unsettling horror moments. Like, when she's, like, stabbing herself, I was like... No, <laughs> it was like we're yeah. in horror world. I can't. Why does why are knives around? But um, I wanted because so much of this is really just a representation of dementia. I wanted to like both Kat and I were like we don't really have that knowledge, and so we wanted to um, get some firsthand knowledge of what people who are taking care of others who have dementia experience, what they've seen, and what is like some of the trends, and if if there are similarities in this film to see if it's accurately representing it. And so I actually talked to my mother because my step-grandfather had dementia um, at the end of his life, and so she was, she and my grandmother took care of him uh, during his last years during that time. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I wanted to to see. So shared with me some of the experiences, um, ways that she they coped and dealt with some of the things and some of the more stressful aspects. And I did find some similarities, actually. And, yeah. and I was like, wow, that's really interesting um, to see how, like, obviously, uh, that uh, Natalie, the, the writer and director of this, knew what they were talking about. Um, I'm French, so we call my grandmother Mimere. So that's what I'm going to call her. Mm. And um, we call my grandfather Papa. So, or Papa. Uh, so... That's what they're going to be called. And my mom is just mom. <laughs> so that's fine. But, um, so my mom helped uh, Mem uh, help with Papa during the, these last years. And uh, she said one of the common things that happened is that he would often forget where he was. So he spent a, the majority of his life uh, up north in Massachusetts, which is where, like, my family is from, and mm-hmm. had come down south to retire 
with Mimer. And so there was a lot of times where he just really didn't remember that and would be lost and felt like he didn't belong in this place because it wasn't where he's always known. Uh, And she said never, he never really acknowledged that this was his, that this land belonged to him and that this house was his own. He always kind of felt like an outsider and that something was was wrong in that mm. um, he would often ask where his wife was and then he would see Mimer and he would feel better because uh, uh-huh. she was a constant in his life so that was something like he would always be looking for her um, there are times she said that he would feel panicked or kind of like he felt naked if he wasn't wearing his boots uh, because okay. he spends much of his life in his shoes. Uh, he was a very hardworking man, and he was, you know, always crafting and creating things as well, very hands-on, uh, man's man <laughs> in that way. And so if he wasn't putting on his shoes, then he felt like something was wrong and that he uh, was late for work or he needed to go somewhere. And so she said she spent many days lacing and unlacing his boots, uh, mm. no, even if he was just in the house, right? It's like you're just putting on your boots or we're walking, you know, around the yard. Um, but that part was like... A, a, a reminder and kind of an anchor uh, to reality for him. Like it was like a state of normalcy so that it would bring him some calm because he would feel yeah. pretty stressed. Um, she said that the uh, hardest and, and saddest part of the entire experience were these moments where he would realize that something was wrong, where he would mm-hmm. kind of come to um, and, and, be himself and like snap out of it uh and he would all of a sudden have this hard time communicating and would even find himself reciting numbers like it was just this thing that would like he would go to try to explain something and instead numbers would come out you know like five six seven eight nine and that would panic him uh because he knew that was wrong and that those aren't the words that he was trying to find and so you know, he would he would get frustrated and he would say, like, I, I know this isn't right. I know my brain isn't right. And hearing him kind of acknowledge that and be stressed by that was really heartbreaking for her. Um, and obviously my grandmother as well. Um, and that they were the hardest parts just to see him kind of in that weakness and into the, the truth of, of knowing that he wasn't in control of his body anymore, the way that he had been his entire life. Um, and that to me is, is similar to Edna in that, you know, Kay seeing her kind of call out and, and in that way, acknowledge like something isn't right here after so long fighting, like, no, I'm fine. I'm going to live in my house. You can't be here to the point where she says to Sam, like, I'm glad you're moving in like that is, is a big leap. Um, but is also one of the more sensitive parts of the film. Yeah. Um, something my mom really remembers is that uh, Papa wasn't a, a terribly emotional or sentimental man. Uh, he, he's he's from a different time. <laughs> um, he wasn't unkind. He just wasn't like overtly like loving, right? Like he didn't yeah. say I love you. He didn't hug you in those ways. Like he, but you knew that he cared. Like it wasn't ever like he was rude. He was just from that time where you don't do that. Like men don't do that. Um, yeah. But during one of the times in which he like had come to he was acknowledging the changes and his limitations and so he wrote my mother a letter uh explaining how much you know she meant to him and uh in ways that he wanted to continue to take care of her like here are some things you need to do to make sure you're protected when I'm gone kind of thing uh and he couldn't write it my grandmother wrote it for him and he just uh recited it uh, but that, to my mom, was one of the more, like, impactful moments because that was just out of character. Like, yeah. for him to be, like, that, you know, open and, and, and emotional about something like that. Uh, and she, like, just vividly remembers remembers that. Um, she said towards the end, um, he didn't eat much uh mm-hmm. there were weeks which they were like f- like forcing him to eat even minimally uh and it was you know just little and that also happens in this film 
where she's just not eating and Kay's like, you have to eat. Um, mm-hmm. And she, they just don't. And my mother said she feels like there's just something in the brain that just says, like, this is it. Like, just stop. We don't need to do that. We don't need to eat and drink. We're done. Um, which is really alarming uh, and horror in its, in its own right. Um, mm-hmm. He would also have trouble sleeping, uh, which was really hard on my grandmother because uh, he would, you know, be pacing and constantly roaming around. And one, that's just really annoying for Mimer because she's like, I want to sleep. Go to bed. Uh, but yeah. also it's like alarming because it's like, what is he doing um, up at, at night? Because we don't know what he's experiencing, like what his reality is telling him to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were, in fact, some scary instances uh, where he broke a door or tried to break a door. He tried to break a window. Uh, sometimes he would wander off. And one time he was missing for several hours. Uh, you know, he just was like, forget this, walked out the door, my grandmother didn't realize, and he was gone for like four hours, and an elderly elderly neighbor found him in a pond, like like chest, uh, chest level, in this pond, like he had just waded into it, um, and like the, the neighbor had seen him like walking that way, and then hadn't seen him come back, and was like, what? And if they hadn't, you know, found him when they did, like it was really... It was really terrifying. Um, yeah. I would say that there were some troubling times where, like, he might get angry and frustrated and kind of uh, act out in the way that Edna did. Uh, but, like I mentioned, my mayor doesn't really handle attitude that well. He's <laughs> very much a strong-minded woman. And so uh, if he ever got snippy or angry she would just quickly be like you're not talking to me like that in this house like that is not happening and he would Mm -hmm. I think in those moments where she would do something like that um and kind of snap back in the way that she is it like was like oh that's my wife yeah Yeah. yes sorry (laughs) like I apologize ma'am you know like it kind of brought him back to like oh of course my wife (laughs) my wife does not handle that I don't know where I was doing but I need to fix like check myself um before she wrecks it (laughs) she will um and I think that kind of having that interaction like not being like soft to it like being like oh Mm -hmm. no like he's being angry you know it was a mix of like I understand that you're frustrated but also like we know we're gonna put some boundaries here like you're gonna understand this and that also was some normalcy for him um to uh help my uh the my mom would take papa out uh, she said she, just to give him a break, she'd take him out to Dunkin' Donuts because we're from Massachusetts. Uh, <laughs> they love Dunkin' Donuts. Or they go to McDonald's and get a hamburger with just ketchup because that's the way that he liked it. Um, and they would also send my, my mare on vacations so that she could take a break because, like, that's a lot for her to handle as well. Um, and she says it, there in those moments when he was a little more aware of things, uh, in reality, he would often ask where his family was and they would need to reassure him that they were there and um, that they were going to care for him and that they'd been taking care of him. And that would put him at ease to be surrounded by familiar faces and to be reassured by people, um, even in those times when he wasn't entirely certain what was going mm-hmm. on, knowing that they were there was a, a source of comfort for him. Um, and again, that's just like with Edna calling out for her family as well um my mom says that she believes he lived as long as he did because they were the ones taking care of him like specifically his family uh knowing that you know they were the ones who were putting on his boots because they knew how important that was to him uh and that when it's someone you love who is struggling that you can have more compassion understanding and patience to take care of them that perhaps like a facility or a nurse might not have like they might not have the knowledge or the patience um an understanding that would be needed uh and my family was lucky enough that they could take care of him in this way my um uh, mayor was already retired and my mom's job allowed her to take time off when she needed to and that's not always the case um yeah. because not everyone has that luxury and it's totally understandable and if you know you do need to have someone with more uh round the clock care 
having them in a, in a care facility is totally understandable. My mom was like acknowledging that the part that she feels, uh, would be wrong is, is, is those folks who just kind of drop off their grandparents or parents into those homes and just kind of leave them there with this idea that like, oh, they're not all there anyway. How would they know? Um, Mm. Because to her, she said, in those moments when he knew and was aware, wouldn't you want to be there? Like, wouldn't you want to assure him in those moments when everything is scary? And then imagine like now those little things that you you hold on to and anchor for are are not there either um and so it's like why not risk it wouldn't you want to be in those times that he could see them and appreciate them and and show his love even in ways that he hadn't before and she considered those moments like a blessing um and you know it would hurt to think of anyone who's just abandoned uh which kind of felt like what Kay was gonna do um, yeah. and ultimately didn't do because she stayed in the house, right? She said, I'm not going to yeah. leave her. Um, and then my mom also quoted George Lopez uh, in talking about, like, how, you know, Latin-A families don't drop off their, like, you have them in, in your house. And I made that same, somewhat same mm-hmm. joke when we were watching and that I was like, we don't, we don't drop our families all like you have like your paternal and maternal grandparents in this house like living with you yeah. in your room as a kid which is like an ethnic thing too like you know that's i know some asian families who do that there's latin families who do that black families like it's just uh so, so i was just like white people out here <laughs> but i do think like um you know i i hope that like a film like this allows people to see the importance of being there and and being patient and 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 offering yourself as as that point and anchor for someone who's going through that and that it is it is very hard um to reconcile that you're this person with who you knew because that Uh is ultimately the thing that it is right is that they've changed they're different now um I've had to, you know, face that before. It was more uh, instant than that. Like, it was like, oh, this person's different now. Um, Mm -hmm. But with this kind of gradual process of, like, slowly seeing um, a person that you love become someone else uh, or just stressfully losing who they were, it could be really horrifying. And so I do hope that, you know, you can... If, if, if you are a caregiver, you know a caregiver to, one, give them care, because uh, mm-hmm. that is a lot of emotional labor, um, and to find some moments of joy. Uh, one of the things that my mother would do to just bring him happiness uh, would be to put on old music, and he would just dance with my grandmother, yeah. like, in the living room, which is that the is sweetest sweet. thing. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, that's so sweet. Uh Sometimes they let him watch TV, but he would sometimes think that the cowboys were in the living room. Or if there was, like, a fire on TV, he would think it was real. And mm. so, like, some eventually TV kind of became, like, a no. So it was like, no, but music and you dance. They would play games with him. Um, yeah. You know, with my younger sister played a lot with him and would, like, go and just hang out with him. And I think that was uh, a piece of joy for him towards the end. So mm-hmm. if there's anything you can take, you know, from this film and this, this uh, episode is, like, be that for that person. You know, find mm-hmm. that point of joy and offer it to them. Yeah. And I, th- I think there's, like, a lot to be said in terms of... Uh, you know, it's hard when you see the person who used to take care of you become someone you need to take care of. And that that can be a stressful experience because you're used to that person being like one, the person who's your caretaker from when you were a kid, but then also like there as Edna was, she was very strong willed. She was like, she was like, I do not need help. I need you to back up and I'm a per- like my own person. I'm autonomous in what I'm doing. And that's like not yours to take away. And I think there are instances, especially in American culture where in like whiteness and capitalism and all that stuff where it is very much like we're going to put you in a place and that's where you're going to be now. And it's a means of capitalism in addition to this like, I don't know, it's kind of cruel in that like before they're even at the point where they would need this kind of like care 
they're like, we do not want to take care of you. You need to go because it is inconvenient to me to put my life on hold to do yeah. that. And I feel or like that does happen. you're three jobs because mm-hmm. capitalism and you and we minimum wage is a livable wage. And so it's like you can't even, like, there, yeah, you know, there's there are both instances ends. where you're like, I can't help you. And that kills me. Yeah. And it's very real. It's another instance where capitalism really makes being a human very difficult uh, and really, like, kind of takes a lot of the power away from these kinds of decisions in terms of, like, there's people, in, if you think of childcare and adult care, like, it's it's very much, like, you need to have the financial means to fund these things. And if you do not, then that makes these decisions a lot harder. Um and also can, like, push your hand, as you said, like, if you're working three jobs and you cannot take off to help your loved one, it's a non-start and you just kind of have to live with that. And that's really hard, too. Um, but I guess for people who want to know some more about dementia, uh, what is it? it? It's actually an umbrella term for uh, a bunch of different factors. So it's an umbrella term that kind of centers around memory loss and other thinking abilities severe enough to interfere with daily life. So the other diagnoses that fall under the umbrella of dementia are Alzheimer's, Lewy body dementia, vascular dementia, frontotemporal dementia, and others such as Parkinson's or Huntington's disease. Um, it can kind of be a combination of different things that happen when someone gets old. It is something that is kind of considered not normal though. Like it's some, it's a add on from another illness. Um, and dementia is defined by multiple websites, but for credit's sake, I specifically pulled this from the Baltimore sun's article, our hearts beat in unison. Maryland family learns to cope with dementia. Uh, and it defines it as, you know, an umbrella term for cognitive decline Alzheimer's disease is one of the most common forms and the leading cause of dementia with more than 70% of dementia cases being attributed to Alzheimer's. It also went on to say in 2020, which isn't, uh, no, it's 2021. So last year, uh, the who announced that dementia was one of the top 10 causes of death with nearly 2 million deaths attributed to it on worldwide in 2019 alone. So it's something that a lot of people are dealing with. So it, makes sense i think that there are a lot more films coming out um kind of like trying to rationalize it and make it more of uh like a common understanding since it seems like people are living longer and were more likely to be experiencing these issues um in an article medical news today titled dementia symptoms stages and types it offers some fast facts uh, specifically, there is an estimated 47.5 million dementia sufferers worldwide. Uh, one new case of dementia is diagnosed every four seconds. And dementia mostly affects older people, but is not a normal part of aging. It's usually caused by an underlying illness that exacerbates uh, memory loss and stuff like that. What are some things that someone with dementia encounters? A person dealing with dementia may start to develop a variety of symptoms, mostly associated with memory loss. It's said that some symptoms may be noticed by the individual, but it's oftentimes that there are other symptoms that are only really noticed by others. Um, this is also from the Medical News Today article that possible symptoms of dementia include recent memory loss, difficulty completing familiar tasks, problems communicating so difficulty with language or forgetting words as you were saying with your grandfather gabe uh the numbers coming out as Mm -hmm. words um disorientation getting lost on a previously familiar street for example problems with abstracts thinking for instance dealing with money Uh, misplacing things forgetting the location of everyday items such as keys wallets or other things, for example, mood changes, sudden or unexplained changes in outlook or disposition, personality changes, perhaps becoming fearful, suspicious, or irritable, um, and loss of initiative, showing less interest in starting something or going somewhere. Um, as the patient ages, late-stage dementia symptoms tend to get worse. Um, 
But as dementia is impacting so many individuals and their families across the globe, it was 47.5 million. So that's a lot of people. Um, there's been a push for more accurate film representation of the illness. I think with something that a lot of people are dealing with, it is you kind of want to destigmatize it um, and make it. I've seen horror do good and bad versions of this where they make the old person scary mm-hmm. because so of some. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, because of this change in behavior or change in who they are. Um, and then you see kind of better representations like we had with Relic. Uh, but in an article from US Today, USA Today, it feels like a horror film, new dementia dramas, falling supernova, aim for truthfulness over tears by Patrick Ryan. Uh, the interview, a man named Viggo Mortison and go over their experience with their mom, father, and other relatives experiencing dementia. Specifically, uh, he kind of goes on to talk about how films that he had seen either dramatized or were inaccurate in their portrayal of dementia and that they he wanted to really like make something that would more accurately represent it. So in the article, he goes on to say, it's something I'm familiar with and had never seen accurately reflected in movies about dementia or Alzheimer's. Um, and he goes on, he says, even in the best portrayals involve somebody who's confused most of the time, my experience in that those are who are confused by at large are the observers, not the person with dementia, because that person is actually seeing, hearing and feeling those things. They seem real to them, not confusing. Obviously this is, you know, his own experience. It's not universal. Um, But in thinking of what you can do to help someone with dementia, Vigo goes on to offer some advice uh, to join their point of view to some degree. Meet them. If someone who has dementia tells you they just had lunch with someone that you know has been dead for 30, 40 years, the worst thing you can do is say they're not here anymore because then they are upset and confused and that person dies again. What you do instead is say, what did you have for lunch? You kind of like, not make them feel like they're losing themselves and instead just be like, okay, you think that happened. I know it didn't, but what's the, do I need to, yeah. Like, do I need to disrupt your whole being right now by reminding you that you're not fully present? Mm -hmm. Um, so how does one manage dementia? The Alzheimer's association offers some support for both prevention and managing dementia. They offer a helpline specifically, uh, for people who are diagnosed to let, make them feel not alone. So say they do not have someone actively taking care of them and they're feeling stressed about this. Uh, it offers hotline, which is 800-272-3900. It also offers caretaking information for people with Alzheimer's or dementia and for their caregivers. Um, there's support groups that exist and you can locate that within the community as well as a virtual library of resources. Um, in an, another article from the Alzheimer's Association, it offers some lifestyle interventions to provide maximum memory benefit when combined that they might offset or elevate the risk, uh, offset the elevated risk for Alzheimer's at, if you are genetically uh, likely to get it. Um, much like other things, it is very much oriented around having a healthy lifestyle, having a healthy diet, things that, uh, kind of go into maintaining your body and your mind on the day to day. Um, it offers specifically five research study, excuse me, lifestyle changes that can kind of reduce the risk for Alzheimer's or dementia. So, uh, Adopting four or five healthy lifestyle factors reduce the risk of Alzheimer's dementia by 60% uh, compared to those adopting none of the factors listed. So adherence to a healthy lifestyle might counteract genetic risk for Alzheimer's, having a higher cognitive reserve built through formal education, cognitive simulation may benefit the aging brain by reducing risk of dementia among people exposed to high levels of air pollution. Uh, confirmation that early adult and midlife smoking may be associated with cognitive impairment at midlife as early as one's 40s and alcohol disorders significantly increase the risk for dementia, specifically in older women, which is interesting. Um, 
it seems like there are things that you can do essentially if you do have Alzheimer's or dementia as something that runs in your family to kind of preventatively take care of it uh, and make sure that it doesn't get worse. Obviously there are there's science behind the fact that if you don't use certain areas of your brain for long enough, those areas will decrease in functionality. So I think there are even like games, like phone games and stuff like that, that are advertised to help increase your brain vitality. Um, and doing stuff like that and kind of like keeping your brain active, seeing people that you love, not as you were saying, not putting people in a place where they don't know anybody or would otherwise not have their memories activate is actually like one of the things it says to do to be around the people that you're familiar with is helpful. Um, and I thought it was interesting and kind of scary that it listed air pollution as something that exacerbates the chances of Alzheimer's that's in our planet that is dying. That's just a scary factor. Um, and was something I didn't know. So that's actually kind of scary and I guess is good to know. Um, they would also kind of indicate that there could be a correlation between, you know, poverty and uh, urban versus rural living. Um, so that's kind of gross too, that capitalism kind of influences who are more predisposed to uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, which I guess is not shocking, but just kind of gross. Um because it not only impacts like your ability to prevent it, but also your ability to like take care of somebody who is dealing with that um, more effectively. But I think uh, in terms of like, if you think someone that you love is exhibiting symptoms of dementia, it is good to know that there could be overarching illnesses that could be causing it. Um, in that you have other things that you can be looking for to kind of slow down the process. Um, and I think if you have the capacity to stay with the person that you love um, and make that journey for them easier, that is something that you should do, um, even if it is hard. Uh, and I think it's something that can be really scary and honestly in its own right traumatic to see someone that you love so much and who has had such a strong impact on your life and you're used to kind of being there for you, need you. Um, but I think there's a cyclical return of the favor of being raised by someone like that by taking care of them. Um, like as the daughter said, they changed your diapers. It is not your turn to change theirs. And uh, I think that really rings true that that's something that a lot of more people should be considering in terms of like, what are they going to do to take care of the people who took care of them their whole lives? Um, Cause I think capitalism makes that really challenging. Um, so I don't know exactly what the solution is. Um, the world is gross and we actively just try to cope with it and do the best that we can. But uh, yeah, I think it all ties back to capitalism or racism or whatever whatever it ends up being is that it all ends up tying back somehow <laughs> um, in terms of like how to manage and treat and also take care of people who are dealing with these kinds of things. Um, yeah. Economic kind of status plays a part. How people, you know, interact with dementia and that there's not a lot of... of debate about the validity you know like often with mental mm. illness people face that like criticism or misunderstanding of like oh you're just making it up or you're just doing this and not understanding like what that is um and I think with dementia that doesn't really I mean and I I could be completely wrong but I feel like people are like oh you know my grandparent or my parent has dementia and that's just like how it is um, I mm -hmm. think the biggest thing with any mental illness and what we're finding in this series is to inform yourself. Like if you want to be mm -hmm. an ally, if you want to be a caregiver is to, um, you know, read up on, educate yourself on what is happening and to, to see it from their point of view, um, to meet them where they're at and not, you know, try to force upon them a reality uh, that is yours, right? Instead, like you said, with, you know, um, not kind of like dismantling their whole idea, like if they thought they had lunch with 
you know, someone who isn't there, uh, not completely pulling the rug from under them and, you know, giving them new trauma again. Uh, instead, just being like, okay, like, this is what your reality is right now. This is how we're going to move forward with it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there, yeah, someone dear to me struggled with, you know, drug addiction. And, and in my youth, uh, I studied up a lot on, on drug addiction. I read a lot of books. Like I read like Go Ask Alice and um, other books like that. I watched documentaries and read up articles online about what was happening to the brain so that I could properly understand and empathize Mm -hmm. um, with what that person was going through. And I think that has greatly impacted the way that I interact with that person and the way that I, you know, see that person was Mm -hmm. to, to one, and because drug addiction is also a mental illness, right? (laughs) And as people, like we talked about that last time, right? Alcoholism is also a mental illness like that. um, So understanding and really putting on, uh, your your media analysis classes watching some films that might help you understand or just you know reading right or asking like what are you what are you doing right now what are you going through talk to someone who might have similar experiences another caregiver that maybe you feel is doing a good job um and, and yeah learn about what that person's going through i think that's the biggest thing that you can do as uh a loved one of someone with any mental illness, literally any of them, is to just try to understand it and just to see what they see and be patient with that information and knowledge and then be able to offer, like, your help in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, just being patient, understanding that people are people. Like, they're still the person you love. They're just having to deal with this thing, and you have to help. <laughs> like, you have to deal with it, yeah. too. Um, and I think we Empathy, can help. Yeah. Empathy goes a long way. I think the world ultimately, at the end of the day, needs more empathy than a lot of people currently have within them. Um, and I think it's uh, something that need, needs to be a thing. And when a pro- Being an ally and being a uh, someone a loved one or a caretaker for anybody I, th- I think empathy is like the biggest pathway to doing that right uh that like yeah you may not understand everything but at least you're trying to understand at least you're trying to like hear them and see them and have them feel validated in what they're experiencing um because if you don't have that I mean then I don't think there's much help that can happen empathy mm-hmm. is really I think the first step um and kind of like taking your own personal feelings out of it. Like just being like, I need to be there for this person and I need to hear them. And whatever I'm feeling or thinking is not productive to that situation right now. Um, And as you said, Gabe, doing research and trying to learn as much as possible, because honestly, that is the only way that you will get closer to any bridge of understanding. Um, And help. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think is the big takeaway for this whole series um, in being an ally or caregiver is just, you know, learn about it, talk to people and, you know, meet them where they're at, understand that there's not one answer, there's not Mm -hmm. one reality even, you know, Uh, there are things that sometimes you're just going to have to try. It's going to be a lot of hit and miss and, you know, patience and working through it. And then you get where it is. And it's not the end of the world. Like for dementia, unfortunately, often is at the end of their lives. And like you said, um, is the cause of, you know, a a fair amount of deaths or is, you know, towards the end of someone's death. But like there are those moments where they are there and they know you and they know themselves. And it's worth it to make the most of those moments for them. Um, and for all the other, you know, instances that we covered, um, understanding that like, yeah, you can, you can live, you can keep going and you can keep doing it and just, you're just adapting and changing your life like you would with anything, um, that is, you know, adjusted in your, in your life. So yeah, I hope you all enjoyed this series. Um, remember to like and subscribe and share if you have your own thoughts or experiences regarding dementia or any of the mental illnesses or ones that maybe we didn't cover, like we didn't cover PTSD, which was one of our intentions at the beginning of this, um, and will probably be a future episode. Uh, let us know. We'd love to hear uh, about it from you. If you like this movie, definitely let us know. If there's other 
dementia films out there that you suggest, we would love to watch them. Um, they don't even have to be horror, uh, just because we always want to learn more. Um, for the month of June, we will be on break. So there will be no new episodes, but there will be other things. (laughs) You know, we'll be sharing out uh, other episodes. Uh, If you're you're missing the ghouls, you can revisit some of our favorites. Uh, It is Pride Month, so you can visit our whole queer horror series. You can listen to our queer representation episode, all kinds of things. if you want to do that, <laughs> we also just have other, you know, things that are going on. So be sure to keep up with us, uh, hang out with us on Twitch, uh, talk to us on the Internet. We're going to be here and we'll be back in full swing in July, uh, ready to go and get back into it. But it's just our yearly uh, break of a month. So yeah. um, if you miss us, let us know. We also appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's 150 plus episodes that you can go through. So there's lots yeah. of content. And if you haven't if, if you haven't been here the whole time, you got you got things to occupy you. Yeah, um, there's at least a hundred good ones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can't speak for all 150, but there's at least a hundred good ones. Yeah, <laughs> I can say that much. Um, yeah, awesome. Well, don't get married. Delete your kids. Okay. Bye. Bye.